Hello, and welcome to Conversations Unlocked, the Unicredit podcast and your gateway to industry insights. I am your host, Twyla Doon, and together we will hear from leading experts as they discuss the challenges Europe is facing and their thoughts on how institutions such as Unicredit can help navigate these issues to be the bank for Europe's future. This week, your host will be my colleague, Emily Callahan-Sloan, and she will be talking with Ben Carpenter and Joe Cars. Ben is the CEO of Social Value International. Social Value International believes we can create an alternative view of success beyond just financial profit and see decision-making that reduces inequalities and improves the well-being of people and planet. We welcome Ben along with our next guest, Joe Cars, Head of Group Stakeholder Engagement at Unicredit. Thank you, Joe and Ben, for joining Emily and welcome to Conversations Unlocked. In recent years, companies have been in hot pursuit of economic, social and governance policies, although sometimes these principles can become disposable. In the face of an economic crisis, is ESG pushed down the priority list? Should ESG therefore be divided for the best outcomes? Ben, thank you for joining us today to discuss ESG. Can you tell us a bit about the origins and why SVI was established? So uh, perhaps our story began about 20 years ago um, when uh, a group of thinkers around the world developed this concept uh, and the initial methodology for something called social return on investment. So you may have heard uh, things like for every one dollar or euro invested, this organization creates X amount of social value and uh, these ideas and, and principles and, and this vision that perhaps we can account for value in, a, in a, a way that's different to what we do at the moment, which is this accounting for value is normally based on cost and, and price. In 2007, we set up an organization as a membership body uh, to support practitioners who were interested in this emerging field and this methodology. And we've grown and we now operate as a standard setter for SROI and just general impact management. In your introduction, we talked about the the challenges that Europe faces um, and and accounting for value and and looking at things in a a different way has never been more important. Would you be able to kind of talk us through what SVI's approach is to this accounting for value compared to, um, I suppose, most ESG practices? Our approach to accounting for value is perhaps a little bit different to most ESG uh, practices Uh, and there's perhaps five uh, areas that I just want to cover. The first one is about the purpose and vision. We're very much focused on how a business will impact on people. The second uh, difference I suppose to highlight is that in ESG we tend to be measuring uh, outputs. Our approach tries to get organisations to be measuring uh, outcomes and, and, and by outcomes we mean actual changes in, in well-being. The third difference we'd like to raise is that valuation is, is really important to inform decision making and generally in ESG if it's reporting of, of outputs and metrics there isn't an assigned weighting to those um, uh, metrics. That valuation is, is, is core to what SVI does. The fourth one um, is around assurance. Um, and I think uh, this is a big risk to the ESG uh, space at the moment is that there, there does seem to be a lack of assurance or verification, which uh, gives rise to 
um, claims of impact washing, ESG washing, you know, green washing. You've heard those phrases, and it just you know reduces the credibility of the information. And the fifth one um, is this kind of slight disconnection of issues. I think ESG, um, a lot of the time, the the measurement tends to be quite siloed. I think the SVI framework and and what we try to do is look at impact and change in a more holistic approach. So understanding that, um, yeah, the S is where we focus on, but of course that is uh, linked to the environment and, and linked to governance arrangements as well. I think that last point about the interrelatedness of the E, S and the G is something that we're really seeing come to the fore a lot more. Joe, I know you've spoken a lot about the importance of making a difference in the social sphere of ESG particularly. Um, And so I'd be interested to hear why you think Unicredit is particularly well positioned. Unicredit as a whole is in 13 markets. So it has presence in countries where they are right at the grassroots of of the communities, which means the people that work in those branches, the people that serve the clients, they live and they breathe the challenges. They see the the opportunities and they understand the needs of the very people that they are there to, to serve. So I think it is entirely incumbent on Unicredit to maximise that and and to use that understanding in each of those markets to make sure that the business that they are doing best serves the customers and and the clients. There is obviously the financial element of that, but I think it also goes beyond that. I think we have a responsibility to look at how we can support around those communities. Within our ESG team, we have two particular main drivers of of support that the the bank is committed to. And, And one is the, the social impact banking, which um, has dispersed around 225 million euros um, in support to help micro companies and, and entrepreneurs. And we also have the commitment to um, uh, our micro uh, credit lines, which support the birth and growth of of small business, and I think we feel so strongly about our social contribution in that regard. And we have a fully embedded and focused strategy for the social um, that balances and is in equal as much to the the environment. So, to the point that was being discussed earlier about the the rebalancing between the E and the S, certainly within Unicredit, I, you know, our ambition is very much to be a leader in in the S space. So. When we talk about initiatives such as Peritalia or our social impact banking or our microcredit, these are areas that we are very focused on and I would fully expect us to see commit to further and and to grow. And when you mentioned earlier that Unicredit was obviously operating across 13 markets, I'd be interested to hear whether um, those measures for, for S, for the social sphere, are the same across all of the markets or whether they have to kind of differ depending on on which region we're talking about. We are 13 markets and we are one Unicredit, but we're 13 different markets. And, and so no is the simple answer. So our commitment to supporting at a social level remains the same across each market. But the way we deploy that in each market depends on the needs of that particular market. What we would do is take the commitment to serve our communities and to help and support our clients, and we would tailor it on a different market. And I think, you know, bringing it back to what we're seeing right now in terms of um, the real sort of strain on on individuals, particularly in the energy space, depending on where they are based, is managing that type of of strain. 
that's going to require each of our banks and each of our businesses to respond in terms of how we support them and how we support our corporates and our SMEs to help them manage through um, through this particular challenging period. And you make a really interesting point there, Joe, about kind of the strain that individuals are, are feeling at the moment. And, and we all know kind of the context that everyone's operating in, in Europe. But my question to both of you is in the face of kind of economic crisis, why should ESG remain a priority for organisations across Europe? I think ESG has to remain a priority um, with all the challenges we're facing. Uh, even if you take ESG purely as a financial risk management tool, um, we're all in the state of managing risks right now. So <laughs> um, if you, you, the, the environment, uh, the changes to the weather, you know, the climate crisis we're in, not just the environment. If you look at the uh, vast inequalities that are rising within our societies. This leads to social unrest. It impacts a business, the communities, uh, any business that wants to survive. That means changing their uh, reliance on things like fossil fuels, changing the way they they deal with people, whether that's the workforce or the community they operate in. If you want to be successful, you have to be thinking about contributing positively to uh, people's lives and, and, and the environment. So, yeah. Let's not let's not discard it at this moment. And Joe, any thoughts on why ESG should remain a priority? We talk about ESG and it's been packaged up as a nice a nice little acronym, but actually I don't think it's possible to drop it. I think it's so ingrained in the way that we operate and it needs to be it's so in it, the elements that the E, the S and the G encapsulates are having such a profound impact on society and and I would say the world as a whole that I don't think there's a choice there. We are going to have to address it and make it central if we are going to be able to navigate both what is in front of us at the moment, but also to create a much more sustainable future, both for industries, but also for individuals and, and, and for our environment and world in, at, at large. Absolutely. And I know we talked earlier about the kind of potential in this sphere, particularly for greenwashing and for kind of policies over action and people kind of coming out with statements and commitments. But I'd love to hear from both of you how you think we should go about avoiding organisations merely outlining ESG initiatives, but not not developing them out fully? I would say that one of the answers to to that is mandatory uh, reporting and mandatory assurance to ensure that the credibility is there and the sort of comparability is there because at the moment all of this is voluntary. So I do think that regulatory uh, piece needs to happen but I would also say that um, I think just being a bit more open within an organization about okay well what is it that we want to do here what is our purpose and leadership has to come from the top of the organization to say we're not just about making profit um because if we want to survive it can't just be about um you know the single bottom line but it's got to be about we exist as a business um as joe said not not just to make money but to support people so i think it's about rediscovering some of that purpose as businesses and 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 business leaders saying it's not just about making money it's also about having a positive impact on people and the planet and then once you've had that conversation and embedding it in the dna of an organization and the culture of an organization then the measurement uh, kind of flows from that really i'd agree with that actually particularly on in terms of uh, um, embedding it in terms of the DNA and the culture of, of a business. I think 
for as long as it stays as a box ticking exercise, I think people will be tempted to find ways around it. But if it is intrinsically within the DNA of a business and how it operates, their culture that encompasses all of the essence of what ESG stands for, then it becomes more than just we need to take various actions to meet various metrics, but it actually becomes about a way of doing business. Uh, I think from a bank's perspective, though, I mean, we are held accountable from a regulatory perspective and also from our investors in terms of making sure that what we are delivering meets very clear targets and metrics and expectations. And and we have to report and we have to make sure that we are very transparent in terms of what we are doing. And, And I think that is right, because I think that the move to this this kind of equilibrium where we are, it is part of your culture and in your DNA and you don't need a standalone ESG team will be an evolutionary one. And so I think until we get to that point, you know, having these checkpoints along the way to make sure that, you know, we are holding ourselves accountable and we are being measured and that we are meeting standards and hopefully in some respects achieving standards. I think that is all part of the journey to get us to, to where we want to be. Mm-hmm. And we've t- we've spoken a bit about the context that we're kind of operating in and that Europe finds itself in. Um, and I know as we record this episode, COP27 is wrapping up in Sharm el-Sheikh. So I'd be interested to hear from you both um, which ESG policies, if any, you think should be promoted as we move into the new year in 2023. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't really like to single out one issue over another I don't think it it helps to say this is the most important because everything is so connected but that is a cop out from your question (laughs) and if I was pushed um, I I would prioritize um, the tackling of inequalities which actually is one of the SDGs number 10 um, because I think the the levels of inequalities we're seeing across our societies is uh, what is causing real harm to our economies, um, but also to our personal well-being. Um, and inequality is cutting across all the issues, including climate. You know, it's it's the the, the poorest people um, who are most affected by uh, climate change as well. So, yeah, pushed. I would go with um, something around reducing inequality. I do think as we move into 2023, the the challenge for for many institutions and 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 bodies that look at this space is to make sure that we find this balance between the E and the S. So we have these ambitious and 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 rightly so targets for the environment, but we're operating in a in a backdrop and an environment that that we didn't foresee. That's put undue pressures on certain industries that are having a material impact from a societal perspective. And I think the key going into 2023 is how do we continue to drive change in the E space and to meet the targets without doing it at the expense of, of the S and for those for society and those for communities. So it's now time for the part of the podcast where we ask a Unicredit member of staff to ask our experts questions. Hi all, my name is Alessio Pezzotta and I am working in the credit risk management department in uh, Milan. My opinion is that giving the current MIAM, financial institutions should concentrate their efforts on financing deals that respect at the same time both these aspects, green and social, in order to gain and unlock value from these two ESG pillars at the same time. My question is, how should financial institutions communicate their effort on these two aspects? 
for me, I, like I think we can communicate in terms of publicizing it and championing it, but actually where we're going to see real tangible, credible results that that will give uh, will demonstrate the impact that we are having will be around the results themselves. So it's got to be done in a way so that it goes beyond being just the superficial. So it, we have to have and be able to see the results of the decisions that we're making and the deals that we are financing and making sure that we are showing how they are both interconnected and how they are both complementary in terms of the, the breadth of the deals that we do. I think my reflections are that when we're in a state of crisis, humanity tends to act uh, in, in a positive way. And uh, I think a signal from organisations that uh, there is an intention and a desire to solve uh, environmental and social problems is the first step. So it's got to be strong. It's got to be backed up, as Joe said, with with really good deals, but signalling that um, behaviours are going to change within an organisation, that investments are going to go into these areas that tackle uh, environmental crisis and social issues. And that might mean some difficult conversations as well about um, not having as much economic growth as before. But those are really difficult conversations to have. But uh, I am an optimist. And I think, uh, as I said before, in, in times of crisis, you do see the best of, of people and businesses. No, I think that was really helpful. Thank you, Ben. Last series, we asked all our guests for their best piece of advice and their key for unlocking success. So Ben and Joe, in one sentence, could you please share with us your key for unlocking success? Ben, if you would like to go first. So financial accounting is a human construct that we developed, but we can also update because measuring the impact we have on well-being is completely possible and should help us achieve more as businesses in the long term and just create a more thriving society. So let's make it happen. Brilliant. And Joe? I think um, success in this regard requires taking um, the policies off, off a presentation and making them be really relatable to the individuals that need to live and breathe and, and execute on them. So it make them feel that they are part of the business that they're doing and understand the impact they are having for as long as they stay in a presentation and as aspirational targets, they stop uh, connecting to the real world impact, positive impact that, that they can have. Both fantastic piece of advice. Thank you both for being here and thank you to everyone listening for joining us.